I looked and saw the website, saw an ice cream cone icon in the corner. I saw him talking about serotonin and sugar, and I thought, no, this is just way over my head at the moment. And I'm going to find out later that there was probably some major stress hormone issues with my brain function at the time and why I couldn't process that information, why I wasn't even open to those ideas. So I brushed it off, and I went on with my low-carb, paleo, keto, intermittent fasting life. And about two years later, I was taking a course on brain science. And one of the people in the course that I became friends with, he actually was turning me on to these ideas. He was talking about this guy named Ray Pete. And I thought, why does that sound familiar? I don't know. This is weird. I wanted to hang out with him. We were hanging out. We were doing some of the brain drills that the course. And he said, well, let's go to the grocery store because this this kind of stuff really drains me of energy. I'm like, drains you of energy? What do you mean? Like, I always have no energy. I, I don't get drained because I'm already on empty. And so we went to the grocery store and I'm looking for the sardines and uh, all the keto snacks. And he's going through and grabbing milk and orange juice. And we hang out and I'm thinking to myself, I can't eat any of this stuff. But I didn't want to be rude. I wanted to be polite. I wanted to be open-minded. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll drink some Coke. I'll drink some orange juice. I'm going to sit in the sun. But when I get back to my house, I'm going right back into ketosis. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm doing major damage to myself right now. Well, that night when I slept, I slept so much better than I had slept in the last three years. Welcome to the Weight Loss for Women podcast, a place where we share everything you need to know about restoring your metabolism so you can eat more, train less, and lose weight in a healthy and sustainable way. I'm Kitty Bloomfield, co-founder of New Strength and Saturated, creator of pro-metabolic food supplements and seriously saturated skincare. And today I've got Brian Thomas on the podcast. He's based in the States. He's married. He's got three fur babies, kids like me, the fur babies. Um, and yeah, we were just, we've been following each other on Instagram for a while and he's, yeah, real wealth of knowledge, follows a similar, you know, nutrition approach, uh, to us. And he did a really good post on sleep. And I thought I haven't got a, like a, had a guest on or a podcast specifically to talk about sleep. And so many of the women that, um, we work with or that follow me struggle with sleep and like me have done a lot of restrictive diets and I was the same, um, and it's, you know, it's so interesting now, like, and we can probably talk about this when, as we go into the podcast, like one of the reasons why you might not sleep, but, um, you know, if, if ever I get stressed or if something is out of alignment for me, even if I'm doing everything right with the food and, the, you know, getting sunlight and walking and, you know, I, it'll, it will affect my sleep. So it's, but I'm so much more aware of it now and, you know, what I can do to actually, you know, fix that and sleep better. But it's just, yeah, I find it, it's really fascinating. So maybe before we start. Do you want to just tell everyone a bit more about who you are and how you got into this? Because the story Absolutely. that you told me, I was like, oh, this is this this is perfect for our podcast today. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Brian, as you know, and I am a recovering low-carb person, as many of us are. And uh, I actually, I was telling Kitty, I came across Ray Pete's work about 12 years ago. But when I first was introduced to it, I was so entrenched in my low-carb mindset that I immediately brushed it off and disregarded it. I said, this guy is crazy. There's no way that sugar is good for you. He obviously doesn't know what he's talking about. I love that. Sorry, Reed, you said you went to his website and there was an ice cream cone. You had an ice cream cone. And you were like, oh, now this guy's crazy. That was pretty good. I looked and saw the website, saw an ice cream cone icon in the corner. I saw him talking about serotonin and sugar, and I thought, no, this is just way over my head at the moment. And 
come to find out later that there was probably some major stress hormone issues with my brain function at the time and why I couldn't process that information, why I wasn't even open to those ideas. So I brushed it off and I went on with my low carb, paleo, keto, intermittent fasting life. And about two years later, I was taking a course on brain science. And one of the people in the course that I became friends with, he actually was turning me on to these ideas. He was talking about this guy named Ray Pete. And I thought, why does that sound familiar? I don't know. This is weird. And I wanted to hang out with them. We were hanging out. We were doing some of the brain drills that the course. And he said, well, let's go to the grocery store because this, this kind of stuff really drains me of energy. I'm like, drains you of energy? What do you mean? Like, I always have no energy. I, I don't get drained because I'm already on empty. And so we went to the grocery store and I'm looking for the sardines and uh, all the keto snacks. And he's going through and grabbing milk and orange juice. And we hang out and I'm thinking to myself, I can't eat any of this stuff. But I didn't want to be rude. I wanted to be polite. I wanted to be open-minded. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll drink some Coke. I'll drink some orange juice. I'm going to sit in the sun. But when I get back to my house, I'm going right back into ketosis. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm doing major damage to myself right now. Well, that night when I slept, I slept so much better than I had slept in the last three years. And I thought, okay, there's something weird going on here because that should not have happened. I should have been awake all night. I should have been miserable. I should have been in pain. I should have all these problems. And yet I had the best night of sleep I'd had in years. So that very next day, I called him up. I said, okay, we got to talk because something happened. I need to know more about this Ray Pete guy. And then lo and behold, he turned me onto the website. And I was like, oh yeah, there's that ice cream cone icon. It's this guy. Okay. <laughs> and then sure enough, that was that was the start of the rest of my life. Oh, that's so good. And you know, like, it's just so bad when you have a shit sleep. Like now when I have a shit sleep, if something, you know, that keeps you awake or I'm a bit stressed about something, you know, my mind's a little bit crazy. Um, it is so bad. Like the next day I just think, oh my God, you just feel so terrible. I think so many women are just living in this constant state of no sleep and high stress. And it's just, oh, it's awful. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. It, I'm, me personally, if I have a bad night of sleep, the whole next day is ruined. The whole next day is practically worthless. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I could get right up. Kitty just tired. You don't need to slit your wrists. You'll be okay. <laughs> I just feel so much for the mums. You know, like especially the older mums who have kids when they're older. I think, fuck, like how being forty and then sleep, it would be really tough. It would be really yeah. tough for them. So yes, we're just dedicating this podcast to help you sleep better. So where do you think we should start? Where would you like to start? Uh, well, I actually think of sleep in three different areas of where people might have problems. So in that case, there's usually the issues with falling asleep. These are the people that they lay in bed and they'll lay in bed awake for two, three, four hours before they fall asleep. And then of course that causes them to be suffering the next day. I also have, uh, the people that will have a hard time staying asleep. So they might fall asleep. Okay. But then it's not a deep sleep. They constantly wake up. The dog kicks them and all of a sudden they're wide awake. Or you get the people that even though they're sleeping well, they fall asleep okay, they stay asleep all night, they wake up and they're just not energized. They just didn't get the actual recovery from their sleep. So we can tackle any or all of those if you want. Let's do them all. Let's all right, let's do it. <laughs> all right. So with the falling asleep thing, the way I usually think about falling asleep 
And this is something to kind of consider from uh, the Ray Peat perspective on sleep and on light is that during the darkness hours of the day, now you, there's a lot of talk about circadian rhythm. This is the hormonal rhythm your body will follow based on light cycles. And so there should be a certain hormonal sequence that follows suit and you're going to have high cortisol in the morning and it should drop through the evening and then rise throughout the night and wake you up. But for some people, being in dark can actually be very stressful. And so that can start that process of raising adrenaline and raising cortisol way too early. And so if you have adrenaline, if you have cortisol while you're trying to fall asleep, there's a good chance you already have low blood sugar. And there's a good chance that you're already going to be somewhat agitated and anxious. So it's going to be very hard to fall asleep when your body is saying, now it's time to be in fight or flight mode. Now it's time to run away from the tiger. And so in that regard, one of the easiest things we can do for improving that part of your sleep cycle is to make sure you have adequate fuel, that you actually have adequate blood sugar in your system at that time because low blood sugar will wreak havoc on your sleep cycle. So talk about what happens. So for someone who's listening, who's like new and going, oh, what do you mean this? So when your blood, so obviously your body is constantly needs energy, right? So you're, it's, it's managing this fuel supply in the blood. So, you know, I always say to women, I'm like, look, imagine you've got a car and you're going to drive it to the other side of Australia and you only put half a tank of fuel in. What's going to happen? You know, and they're like, okay, it's just going to conk out. But, you know, when your body doesn't get, get adequate fuel, it's not like you just die, right? Yeah. So your body has these built-in mechanisms to help you survive when there's not enough fuel. So can you describe that process, what happens? So if you don't eat enough. Yeah, absolutely. So the way I like to think of it is you're running from a tiger, okay? <laughs> your normal never everyday life, there's no tiger at all. But if for some reason your brain says, now is time to get out of danger, then your stress hormones are going to kick in to try and create energy, to shut off certain brain functions, to shut down your focus, shut down your attention, to turn off your hunger and appetite signaling so that your only task right then and there is to survive, to get away from that tiger. Now, the problem that humans will encounter is that we don't have tigers chasing us, at least very often. I hope you don't have a lot of tigers chasing you. You might have to look for a new line of work if you do. But in terms of that same hormonal process, if our blood sugar drops really low, if we haven't eaten for several hours, if we haven't gotten a good night of sleep, if we just got reamed out by our boss, we got a new deadline for a work project, we got stuck in traffic, whatever it is that's a stressor in our life, that's going to draw on our resource demand. That's going to draw on our available blood sugar. And so if our blood sugar is not able to handle that demand, then the stress hormones kick in to try and make up for that. They'll try and break down some of our fat, break down some of our muscle, some of our organs to try and turn it into sugar to raise our blood sugar. Mm. And so when that happens at the wrong times, then we're going to have all of those brain fit, uh, functions that are going to be similar to that stress response of running away from that tiger. We're going to have that change in appetite. We're going to have a lot of weird things happen to our body because our brain is telling our body, now is the time for survival mode. And we're over here thinking, I got to sleep tomorrow. I got to get up and work on my projects. I got a deadline. So mm -hmm. if all of that runs unabated, if you don't have enough blood sugar to handle all of those life demands, your system's going to reflect that and your system's going to fight against you with stress hormones. 
So if you like a woman, for example, because a lot of women who listen to this podcast do this, they're like, oh, they're always on the next low-carb diet or really low calories. Like I think a lot of women for some reason think they need to really drastically cut their calories, create this large deficit. So you're constantly in this deficit. You don't have any stores of glycogen in your muscle and your liver. So your body's always, it's just running off these stress hormones, right? So like then you go to bed and you, you just, you're awake. The stress hormones are keeping you awake. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're keeping you awake and they're going to try to keep you awake because their job isn't to let you sleep. Their job is to keep you alive. Yeah. It's yeah. hard to run away from a tiger when you're sleeping. Yeah. 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 And I think too, you know, like obviously there's always going to be stress in our lives. I think it's, it's, it's unrealistic to say, oh, I'm going to live in this fucking bubble and wrap myself in cotton wool. But I think if you're like, you know, not eating 1200 calories, eating adequate fuel during the day, eating some regular meals, you know, whatever fits into, into your um, day, it's going to help you build that resilience to the, to the stress and be able to handle those stresses and then hopefully sleep better at night. Like I've just seen so many women in our program when they start to, you know, eat a bit more food, when we bring their calories up, they stop binge eating, you know, they're balancing their blood sugar. All of a sudden they're like, oh, okay, okay kitty, I can, I'm starting to sleep again. I think that's just one area. I think there's lots of things where we, which we can keep talking about, but that's an easy one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. The low blood sugar is probably number one for addressing sleep issues across the board for all three of the different areas, the falling asleep, staying asleep, the waking up refreshed. That's number one for all of those areas. Yeah. It's, it can be as simple as making sure you have adequate exercise, that you are doing good movements throughout the day, because that'll change your capacity for stress. Like you'll talk to people all the time and they say, oh, I exercise because it's my stress relief. Yeah. Let that pressure release valve go because that'll give you the a different operating hormonal state. So the need for protection, the need for safety from your hormones, your cortisol, your adrenaline will be much lower when you're actually happy and doing things you enjoy. That's a really good point too. So I found that another thing with clients is like ones that just, and this is not for everyone. Like there might be some people that are super active, but they're just not very active. You know, they don't get out in the morning. They don't get sun in their eyes, sunlight on their skin. They're not moving throughout the day. So when they actually start to track their steps and they get out in the morning, get some sun, you know, increase their steps in their movement, that also can help them sleep at night. I've noticed that too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And especially if you're actually outdoors, uh, one of the things that happens when you start to fall asleep, you're going to get a little neurological here for a second, but I'll keep it brief. Your brainstem, which sits at the bottom of your brain, will actually shut down sensory information from the body. So that when you're dreaming, you're not actually moving your body. But in order for that to happen, you have to have a healthy brainstem. And one of the best things that you get from walking is you get brainstem activation. Wow. As you're now moving through the world, your eyes are looking far away. And if we think about our modern life, we're always looking at our screens. We're always looking at our phones. We're always indoors. So we never look beyond two feet up to maybe six to 12 feet. So if you get outside, you actually get to use areas of your visual system that are tied to that brainstem function. So mm-hmm. being outdoors for the sake of being outdoors alone, you don't even have to play flag football or cricket or anything like that. It could be as simple as I go for a walk or I hang out in the backyard and get some sunlight. It yeah. can be tremendous for brainstem function and for your overall health and sleep quality. Yeah. And even too, like we've talked about this on previous podcasts, like you know, if, you, if you're finding it hard to just go for a sort of longer walk in the morning, you know, Stan Efferding was just a guy we had in the podcast. He's a real big African. Oh, isn't he good? I just love him yeah. so much. The 10-minute walk, you know, as you would know. So just 
you know, instead of going, hey, if you're stressing, thinking, oh, I just don't have the time to do that, maybe after one of your meals, just go for a quick 10-minute walk. Yeah. And do that absolutely. through the day to start with. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it can be that simple. It doesn't have to be, oh, I can only do five miles and it's gonna. that's when it starts to work. No, it can be just a few minutes. It can be five, 10 minutes. Track your steps, get outside, get started. That's the key. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of women go wrong. They just get so overwhelmed and don't do anything. And I always think like, or they just lack the motivation and I'm action, action leads to motivation, I think. And just focusing what you can do and building up from there Absolutely. and just showing up and doing it. Because I think that sort of reinforces, you know, the new identity that I'm someone who just shows up and does stuff. And then you find, I think it's much easier to go if you, if you start going, okay, I can do three 10 minute walks and then you can build on that if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, that's a really good one. I'm glad we talked about the steps and the sun and the sunshine. Can you talk maybe a little bit about that? Like the circadian rhythm and, you know, getting up in the morning, getting that sunlight on your skin and a bit in your eyes. Yeah, absolutely. So when you think about a rainbow, mm-hmm. you have different colors within the rainbow and each color actually represents a different wavelength of light. This is your visual light spectrum. This comes from the sun. And so you have receptors in the back of your eye, in your retina, that will detect different colors of light, different wavelengths of light hitting those receptors. And when those receptors are activated in the morning, in the early hours of the morning with sunrise and even with sunset, and to be honest, any time throughout the day, you're going to stimulate brain areas whose job is to gauge based on the wavelengths of light hitting the eye, what time of day it is. So part of your body, part of your innate biology is to match up with the sunlight and sleep cycles of your environment. And so when you have light entering your eye early in the morning, you're telling your brain it's early in the morning. And when you see the light cycle change throughout the day and you get to sunset and it's going to be a lot of reds and orange wavelengths of light and that enters the eye, you're telling your brain, hey, it's time to calm down. It's time to get ready for sleep. It's time to go to bed. And so one of the big problems that we have in our modern world is that not everybody does that when that time frame comes around. A lot of people are still on their phones, on their TV. And so for some people, that can be problematic. That can actually be one of those things where part of the reason you have a hard time falling asleep is you're getting a lot of blue light from these devices. Mm. Your screens, your phones, very heavy in the blue light part of that light spectrum. Part of the blue light's job is to tell your brain it's daytime. Mm. So when we think in terms of matching your hormonal rhythm, a big part of the light contribution of that is that blue exposure that you're getting from devices, from our man-made devices, from our fluorescent lighting. And so there is a big push right now for what are called blue blocking glasses. Mm. So they are generally, if you haven't seen them, they're sunglasses, but the lenses are orange or red instead of say clear or dark or purple or whatever color somebody might have. But the idea being that the orange and red lens glasses will actually block the blue part of the light spectrum. They'll block some other colors too, for that matter. And so people are actually wearing those when they still have to work at night or if they have shift work and have to be under those lights for a long period of time. And so it's very interesting to think that one of the biggest contributors to disease risk is actually shift work. Yeah, I'm done shift work. It's so hard. You're so oh, tough. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're worthless the next day when you have light 
And you would normally be telling your system how to have a hormonal function. So then when you're working at night, you don't get natural light cycles. You don't get this natural hormonal rhythm going. It's very easy to watch people just fall apart when those jobs happen. That's one of the big things I always ask people in history is, have you ever had that kind of job? Or what do you do for work? And a lot of times, something as simple as changing your job from shift work, or at least from the evening shift to a day shift, I've seen people fix their health with just doing that alone. And then in that shift work situation, you're not going to out-supplement that. Not very easily. You're not going to out-train that very easily. You're just adding more stressors, more demands on your blood sugar, and you're just chasing this spiral down the drain. And so would you recommend then, um, so let's say for people who don't do shift work at night, like how, if would you want to try and avoid like phone screens, computer screens? What about TV? Like a few hours before bed, and then if you can't avoid that, would you say wear the wear the glasses? Yeah, absolutely. So this is one of those where I put it in that category of you might have a different response for yourself. Mm-hmm. So me personally, I actually don't respond well to the blue blocking glass. Yeah, wow. So it's it's one of those weird things where everybody's going to be different. And so based on concussion history that I've had and head traumas and things like that, for some reason, when I put on orange or red glasses at night, I'm wide awake. It actually has the reverse effect on me. So I say that not to say you'll have that response. Most people are not like, most people will have a very calm, sedating kind of effect. But it's worth testing and it's worth being okay with that having a place in your tool belt as something you can try, something you can go after. For the average person, yeah, that can be a major tool to help you calm down and go to sleep. But it's okay if that's not the thing because there are other things to go after. Yeah, yeah, if you you can't use the glasses, you might need to reduce the light. You might need to swap out the bulbs you have to an incandescent bulb versus, say, a fluorescent bulb. Yeah, because the wavelengths of light and incandescent lighting is actually going to be a little bit more metabolically beneficial than some of the fluorescent bulbs that a lot of people will have. Yeah, cool. Okay. Um, so we've talked about light, uh, balancing the blood sugar, eating adequate calories. So what about if you're waking up at like 2 a.m.? So when you're waking up in the middle of the night, so on the blood sugar side of things, what that would often point to is that you're having a hard time storing glycogen in the liver. Mm. Is that your liver's capacity, if you want to think of your liver kind of as a backup reserve storage house for sugar. So if you're going through your night, you're using up the sugar through your normal physiological staying alive functions, but two o'clock rolls around and you're wide awake, you probably ran out of sufficient sugar and then you turned on the cortisol and adrenaline response. So then we can think, okay, well then I need to figure out how to improve my capacity for storing glycogen in the liver. And so one of the best things that you can do for improving your liver storage capacity is actually to watch the kinds of fats that you're eating. Because polyunsaturated fats will burden your liver tremendously. Mm. They will dunk up the works and you will have a harder time storing sugar in your liver. And that's one of those big things that can have an impact on getting through the night easily. Mm. There's a couple other things too, but sugar is the number one piece of that because that ties together everything else. If you don't have enough fuel to handle all of those functions that are occurring while you're sleeping and recovering, it's going to be very hard to stay asleep. It's going to be very hard to get a good night's rest. It's going to be very hard to actually recover the way you need to while you're sleeping. Would you also say, too, it could be uh, you're not getting adequate fuel throughout the day? Because that's something that I notice as well. Like if I don't eat enough during the day, it affects my sleep. Like I need a certain amount of calories. Mm -hmm. Um, So could you potentially look at 
you know, how much you're eating during the day. Something other thing I've noticed with some women too is, um, cause you know, like you fast all night and you wake up in the morning, you, 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 your glycogen stores are low is sometimes women will like really backload their calories in the day. Like they won't eat a good breakfast. And I find, you know, like, you know, the before bed snack, like we often talk about the before bed snack, which couldn't be a good idea if you have trouble sleeping the night. But if you're not eating adequate calories through the day and actually replenishing those glycogen stores earlier in the day when you need the energy, I don't think eating a huge meal at night is probably either is the answer. So looking at how much am I eating through the day? Am I getting a good breakfast? Am I then, you know, getting adequate fuel in the day when, because you're more energetic in the day, right? Like you're training and you're doing things and having a look at that. And, and you know, I've even noticed for myself, if I sort of, you know, big, decent breakfast, refuel, and then, you know, adequate meals throughout the day. And then I just have a small bedtime snack of some like chocolate ice cream because I just like chocolate ice cream. Um, but I even, I even have some women who just have dinner, like they balance their blood sugar through the day and they have dinner and then they don't eat anything and they're still good. So would you look at that too? Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I always look at with people is their sleep quality as not just a target to aim for as far as improving their health, but as a sign of how their health progression is going. So if I have somebody who is deliberately cutting calories because they're trying to lose weight, if I start to see that their sleep is suffering, we're going to up those calories because that deficit is too big for that person. And yeah. so just like you were saying, as far as the front loading, the deficit and then having the back loading of all your calories, you get good at what you practice, which means if you're going to try and practice running on stress hormones for the first half of the day, your body's going to upregulate all those processes of running on stress hormones. Yeah. And so if we think of it in terms of we want good glycogen storage being our goal, well, we need to practice making sure that our body is getting adequate glycogen throughout the day to replenish and refill those stores. So if I take that away from you, you're not going to be able to practice it, which mm. means you're not going to get good at it. You're not going to harness that process very well. And then we're back to the same boat of now I'm using cortisol and adrenaline to make up for the blood sugar that I should have had in my liver. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's um, And it, it even amazes me now, like how much, because I'm pretty strong and active, but how much food that I really need to eat to sleep well, like it just actually still blows my mind. You know, because it's just, and two, like Craig always says, he's like, oh, you, you, because I've got a bit of a manic brain, you know, <laughs> a bit, always a million things going on. So he's like, oh, your brain probably uses up half your bloody, oh, half absolutely. your bloody stores. Yeah. It's, uh, it, there's actually ESPN wrote this article uh, a few years back, but this wasn't even known prior to that. Uh, famous chess player, Bobby Fischer. Mm. Some of you will remember that name. Uh, it was known that he would lose about 10 to 15 pounds in a chess tournament. So you can think about that for a second. He's not active physically. He's sitting in a chair and moving these little one or two ounce pieces of wood all over the board, probably even less than that. And that's what he would do, but it would be with an intent and a focus that most people don't put in anything. And it was for a very long period of time. Sometimes he'd be at a table for eight to 12 hours playing chess. So the cognitive demands for fuel were tremendous. And ESPN wrote an article a few uh, years back. You can look it up still probably. It's called the Grandmaster Diet. But they talked about this phenomenon in all of these Grandmaster level chess players where they would lose such a tremendous amount of weight during a chess tournament. So yeah, if you have a very cognitively demanding life, 
If you are that mom who has to keep up with your kids and balance your schedule and go to work and figure out how to time all of your soccer lessons and all these other things, you can imagine that your fuel needs are far higher than you might guess from a typical ca uh, calorie calculator. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't really know. I don't think it, like, that's why we're so big on the tracking and even myself, like I'll track it and I'll be like, wow, you know, like I really ate a bit more. Okay. Sleep was a bit better or I didn't eat that much as much yesterday. My sleep was work. Like you just from tracking it, you realize, um, you know, and I think when, oh, well, this is what a lot of women struggle with that I work with is they under eat and then they binge, they binge. So, you know, like I think just trying not to be because it's a bit scary when we're saying to them, eat a bit more calories throughout the day. But what you'll find is when you actually take out the binges and you're eating more day to day, you're actually eating less because you're not binge eating, you're eating more nutrient dense foods. Right. It's really, you think when you binge, like whenever I binge, it was these hyper palatable, like no nutrients foods that do a ton of calories in them, heaps of fat, heaps of carbs, like yeah. carbs of Ben and Jerry's. I loved cookie dough ice cream. Domino's. I love cookie dough ice cream. The bomb, corn chips, you know. So, like, uh -huh. you just consume so many calories because easy to eat and your body's screaming at you and then you go, oh, you feel terrible. So, I think, you know, especially what I found personally is when I actually refuel, like, it might even be an extra one or 200 calories a day. It makes a huge difference. Oh, and then overall, you're not binge eating. So, mm -hmm. you're not getting this huge amount of calories in one sitting, which is st stressful on the body too, I think. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Hey, yeah, you can only download or uh, digest so much at one time. It's yeah, it is a burden on the system. And if you're dealing with gut disturbances and gut distress already from foods that aren't digesting well, you're yeah. opening up the door to a lot of problems there. If you just keep shoveling so much in in that small setting, that's actually might roll onto the next topic. What about gut? Your gut, because I think that's one. Yeah. E Ray talk about this and serotonin. And can you talk a bit about that and how? Absolutely, absolutely. So. From a gut standpoint, that is other, one of the other areas I look at in terms of the not being able to stay asleep. Mm -hmm. Because if you think in terms of endotoxin formation, so for those that aren't familiar with endotoxin, endotoxin is generally going to be a byproduct of fermentation that occurs in the gut when you have certain bacteria that are going to eat the foods that didn't get broken down by your digestive system. And so they're there in the colon and they're saying, oh, good, you're feeding us. And when you feed the wrong bacteria, they'll make a byproduct called endotoxin. And as the name implies, it is a toxin. It is a very uh, hazardous thing to have in your system, causes all sorts of inflammation, opens the door to all sorts of problems. And when you have a irritation in the gut on a regular basis like that, you'll actually open up the gut lining. Mm -hmm. So the gut itself is very, very thin. And so when you open that up, the term that gets thrown about is leaky gut. Well, that endotoxin can make it into the bloodstream, as well as some other nasty things you got going on in there. Now, when that happens, that endotoxin can create, A, a burden on the liver, which will deplete you of your glycogen that you might not be storing well because you were binging. And then secondly, it can create a need for resources in general to mitigate the inflammation. So now your blood sugar needs just went up in the middle of the night. And so a lot of times the gut irritation that you're experiencing can actually cause you to have uh, poor sleep as a result because now you've got to deal with this when you're trying to get some recovery time. So what, you know, because I think sometimes uh, women or hypothesis could, could potentially, you know, like take some of these more harder to digest foods out and replace them with some more easy to digest initially anyway, you know, why they're improving 
of things and then you might put them back in. So what are some foods that, that potentially could, you know, irritate the guts that might be worth swapping out for other, you know, more easily digestible foods to start with? Yeah, the big ones that I find that are hard for people, myself included, mm-hmm. grains and legumes. Those two right there, that's your bean family. But grains and legumes, those can be very, very problematic for a lot of people. And the other thing to consider with endotoxin too is that not everybody is going to have the same kind of negative response. So you might have that friend that says, oh, well, I can eat bread or I can eat beans and I have no problems. They might be in a different place health-wise than you. Mm. They might have had a different history than you. So how they experience those things may be different than you. And that's okay because our goal isn't to do what's best for them. Our goal is to do what's best for you. So in that realm, well, grains and legumes tend to be very problematic. Undercooked vegetables is yeah. also really problematic for people too. This is the, I'm going to eat a salad because I think it was healthy. Somebody told me it was healthy. I like a salad every now and again. I like a good Caesar salad. I love Caesar dressing. I'll have one or two a year. That's it. Just because the craving hits, I'm like, you know what? I just want that salad. Chicken Caesar, boom, done. But that's really the extent of undercooked vegetables that I try and go for. If you're eating a lot of plant matter, the leaves in plants can actually be very hard to break down and digest. And that's why cows tend to have four stomachs. Because plant matter, grasses, leaves, they require a lot of digestive processes to actually break down and utilize. And our human digestive system is not really built for that. Yeah, and it's interesting, like Craig seems to have a lower tolerance than me for like that sort of stuff. Like I'll eat sourdough muffins every day and I'm fine. You know, if I eat a shit ton of sourdough, like it's not good. But like you say, I think it's just about finding what works for you. And sometimes you might have a tolerance level. So, you know, you might eat it a few times a week or you might eat one serving a day and that might be good for you. And I often find if people work on healing their gut and improving the overall system, then a lot of the times they may be able to put that some good quality sourdough back in or some well-prepared, you know, like prepare the beans well, soak them overnight, exactly. cook them really well. Because, you know, I sometimes will like like have some like homemade, ba- occasionally, because I just can't be fucked to cook them most of the time. But like, you know, or I really like chili. So I have some like beans in my chili, um, but I'm not eating, you know, every meal beans, every meal green vegetables. So it's not that we're saying don't ever eat these things, you know. It's, I think it's, you know, just test it and then make sure that you're getting some easily digestible nutrient-dense foods in the rest of your diet. Um, yeah. Like a lot of women will listen to me and go, oh, fuck, I've just been smashing the green vegetables and salads and I've really reduced them or started to cook them, you know, my green veggies a bit better and now I'm feeling so much better. Mm-hmm. Oh, and- absolutely. You hit the key word there and it's test it because yeah. not everybody's going to have that response. So yeah. if you are waking up in the middle of the night, that's just one thing you can look at to say, maybe that's why. Maybe yeah, that's something. Try yeah. And if yeah. I'm tracking my food, I can go back through and say, oh, look, this week I did go a little heavy on the grain. Mm. I did go a little heavy on the mm. And am I getting adequate energy first? I think that I really feel like that's a huge one is the adequate energy. Yeah. You know, like if someone's um, not eating enough, but they're not eating any grains or any green vegetables, they're still probably going to wake up, you know? Yeah. So, it's, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. What about, what about salt? That's one that I find too, like a lot of women, especially when they come into our program, you know, they'll start moving away from a lot of packaged and processed foods. So, mm-hmm. and they're, they're not, we'll get them to track their salt and they're like, oh man, I'm only like five grams of salt a day. And then once they increase their salt intake, that helps their sleep too. So can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. 
So salt is an easy way to think about balancing your overall water volume. So when we talk about sodium, people think of, oh, edema, swelling of joints, swelling of tissues. That must be, I have too much water retention. I need to cut my sodium. Or I might have high blood pressure, so I had to cut my sodium. And the reason that you might see those things from a sodium perspective is that sodium generally will pull water into the cell. But what's missed in a lot of those conversations is not that you have too much salt, that you don't have enough potassium to balance it out. So that's one of the big reasons why we like to go after fruit, because fruit is such a tremendous source of potassium. So when you have adequate potassium in the fruit and you've got enough sodium, now your cells actually have that balance and they can function well, they can do what they need to do. And from an energy production standpoint, when the cells are actually producing energy well, now you can stay asleep easily. Now you don't have the need for adrenaline to try and get blood sugar into the system. Now you don't have the need for cortisol to kick in and break down some of your muscle to make sugar. You actually are utilizing the energy you have much more effectively. And in terms of lowering adrenaline, sodium tends to have an ability to lower adrenaline as well. And so when thinking about it from a weight loss standpoint, salt is in that category of calorie-free nutrition because you don't have to increase your calories to lower your adrenaline. People often hear the adrenaline conversation. They think, oh, I have to have more sugar? I have to have more sugar? Well, that's more calories. I can't afford that calorically. Well, with sodium, with sunlight, with things like that, you no longer need to worry about increasing the calories. You can actually just lower the stress. Mm -hmm. And that can go a long way for making sure that you stay on track with everything you're trying to do without pushing your caloric load over. Mm -hmm. And that probably leads on to the next point is sometimes more calories isn't the answer, right? Like sometimes I like, and just from my own experience, I don't know how long you followed me for, but when we went through the whole TTC journey, oh my God, like I was just manic in the end because I just, my personality is, this is out of my control. I'm doing everything I can. When is this going to end? Like there was, it felt like it was Groundhog Day and the, the, the more the months went on and I was eating heaps of food. Like I was eating like 3,000 calories, 2,800, 3,000 calories a day, you know, pulled my training back from really intense training to just walking and more stretching and doing some ability stuff, sunlight, all of the supplements, you know, and I just got worse and worse. And I, I would at times wake up six times a night to pee. Oh, wow. I was, had so much anxiety around it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was doing every, more calories wasn't going to help me. You know, and it was when one we finally decided that, okay, you know, Craig came downstairs and said, actually, I don't want to have a kid. I was just doing it because you want. And so then we had, you know, people can listen to the podcast if they want to. But once I, we had made that decision and I'd processed it, like I was sad for about a day, but I think the next day I woke up, I was like, fuck, I feel good. The anxiety's gone. And I started sleeping through the night. Uh-huh. Like it, it, even going back to hard training. So I think sometimes, can you talk about, emotional and chronic stress like that and how that can stop, can impact your sleep. Oh, absolutely. So uh, Hans Selye, the godfather of stress research, coined the term general adaptation syndrome. One of the things that he did from an experimental standpoint is he would take rats and he would hook them to a table. He'd fasten them down and they couldn't get away. Mm. And what would inevitably happen is they would get ulcers. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. I just wanted to jump in quickly and talk a little bit more about our seven-day eat more, train less, get results challenge. So 
if you're new to the podcast um, and following me or say you've been following me for a while and you've been sitting on the fence, the challenge is a great way to get started. Craig and I developed the challenge after working with women for over eight years and it was purposely built for women who want to achieve sustainable results without drastically cutting calories, sugar and carbs or working out six days a week. So we want to show you how you can lose weight, tone up, but also feel good. So that means good sleep, no bloating, constipation, stable energy and moods, regular and relatively symptom-free periods, and no perimenopausal or menopausal symptoms. Unlike other programs that you'll find online, it's a holistic approach. So it provides you everything you need for long-term sustainable weight loss and body composition change while feeling good. So the seven-day challenge uh, provides a full meal plan, a workout plan for home and the gym with training exercise videos to guide your workouts. We've got metabolically supportive recipes, a recipe book, advanced supplement guides, direct support via our private community um, and Facebook page, and most importantly, education for long, long-term long success. So I actually got this great message in our private Facebook group yesterday from a woman who's listened to the podcast for two years, but only recently joined the challenge. So she said, I've been listening to the podcast for a couple of years, but just joined the challenge four days ago. I want to express my gratitude for all the amazing information Kitty and Craig offer in this challenge. I was hesitant to sign up because I only have dumbbells at home and I'm not ready to join the gym, but I'm super impressed so far and really excited to make positive changes in my life. So the challenge is a one-off payment of 27 Australian dollars and you get lifetime access and we have clients all over the world in the program. So I'm going to pop a link in the show notes with more information and let's get back to the podcast. the stress of being strapped down, they would actually get ulcers in their stomach. And then when he gave the rats a block of wood, he still strapped them down. They still couldn't move, but they had a block of wood to chew on. They now had something to do. They didn't get ulcers. And so a lot of times when we have these major life decisions we're trying to make, when we have these overwhelming circumstances, they're not even necessarily a physical burden. They're not even, I'm training too hard or... I've got to deal with working 18 hours a day. It can simply be psychological. That amount of stress can just wreak havoc on the ability of your system to actually stay intact. And so when your system is falling apart, when your system is not able to keep up with the demands that it's your brain is creating for it, that can be a huge burden on your overall cellular function and a huge increase in your energy needs to deal with that. And now you got to deal with the cognitive processing of all these thoughts you keep going back to and back to and back to. And then you're going to also have to feed your stomach. You're going to have to feed your muscles. You're going to have to feed all of these other systems because they still need to stay alive too. So if the brain is going to take priority, the body's going to fall apart. Yeah. It's, um, and I think, uh, well, I, don't, I don't know, I think just from my own experience, it's like, okay, well, I think you've got to, it's like you're out of alignment. That's what I feel like it was for us or for me. So it's once I got back into alignment, that's when the stress went away. So sometimes it might be making that tough decision, you know, like leaving that job, leaving a relationship. But what about if you can't change your circumstances immediately and that you've still got that stress, like some strategies that I used was tapping, EFT tapping, mm-hmm. breath work was quite yep. good. But I mean, the biggest change came from resolving it, basically. Is there any other advice you could give to people who might, you know, think, oh, I can't resolve this now. What's some things that I can do? Yeah. So you mentioned a couple of my favorites, EFT and tapping. 
Uh, I'm a big proponent of breath work, especially breath work that focuses on increasing your CO2. So to give you an idea of what that might look like, if I inhale, I'm going to get a lot of oxygen. And if I exhale, I should be exhaling a lot of CO2. I should be offloading some of that excess CO2. And the problem that sometimes will happen, especially under stress, is that we'll breathe more often than we should. So the average person will take about twenty to 25,000 breaths a day. And if I'm breathing in a way that offloads CO2 too fast, I actually don't get to hold on to it enough. I don't get to then utilize that by way of the bore effect to get oxygen off of the red blood cell and into the tissues that need to use it to make energy. And so when you're doing breath work that increases your CO2, you're allowing your cells to actually utilize oxygen better. And that can go a long way for reducing stress because now you have energy production to deal with the burden of your everyday life. Mm. So... Breath work that increases CO2 is usually going to consist of slowing down your exhale. And you can add in some breath holds as well. So it might be something like I'm going to inhale for two seconds, hold for three or four seconds, and then try and exhale for three or four seconds as well. And just that little cycle can be a tremendous way to start retaining more and more CO2. And you would do that for two, three, four, five minutes, whatever you can handle. You get two benefits with that. One, you're building up the CO2. And two, you're now increasing the cognitive control of your breathing. So your breathing is a unique function in that from an autonomic standpoint, you can actually take control of it very easily. You can't easily control your heart rate. You can't easily control your digestion. So a lot of these functions that happen inside of us autonomically, we're kind of at the whim of that part of the body. But your breathing will happen whether you control it or not, but you actually can control it. But in order to control it, you have to use a lot of brain function. There's a lot of brain areas involved with controlling your breath work. So if you can slow down your breathing, take a nice deliberate timing with it, that can go a long way for A, increasing the CO2 and B, redirecting your thoughts. So now you're no longer ruminating on this thing that you were thinking about. You're now actually thinking two seconds in, three second hold, three seconds out, two seconds in, so on and so forth. So now you've distracted yourself and you've built up the energy to now change the brain function, change the way you look at the problem, change the way you see solutions and move on with your life. Yeah. Like before I go to bed, I have like a pretty strict bedroom time routine. Like I just need it. And so I, we have set up and where we can talk about this next is red light. So we actually bought a red light sauna, which we're excited oh, nice. coming at the end of January, we're pumped. So, um, but at the moment, we've got the two long ones, like two big long ones. And we've got a face one that you put on your face. Oh, cool. And so I've got them because we've got quite a big bedroom, like carpet, carpeted area. So there's like, they're just sitting side by side. And then mm-hmm. so we take turns, we put the face mask on and lie there for 15 minutes before I go to bed. And I do like the breaths. I do four in and then eight mm-hmm. out. Four in, Perfect. eight out. And I just, that, if I really, I have to focus too. My mind will, st- I have to let my mind just wonder if that makes sense like not focus on thoughts and if i really if i try if i do it properly i find that i start to feel more relaxed uh that it helps sort of just you know because my brain's always like because we're just really busy like it's just it's good though like i really enjoy our work um but i need to like it i sort of need that to wind down at the end of the night to let my brain go you know so um, yeah i think the breath work is cool i've got had some podcasts on breath work if people want to go back and listen i'm getting a guy on he wrote a book about breath work. What's his name? I've got to do my bedroom. I can't bloody remember. Um, anyway, so let, what about the red light? 
red light is awesome. I'm a big proponent of red light. Red light, uh, as far as a mechanism of action is concerned, we talked about the rainbow. We talked about different colors of light. Well, what they found out is that different parts of that light spectrum, when it's exposed to certain tissues and to the cell itself, can change the way the cell functions. So the red end of that light spectrum is going to be very, very stimulating for the mitochondria of your cell. And the way it works is that it basically dissociates nitric oxide from an enzyme in your mitochondria called cytochrome C oxidase. And when you dissociate nitric oxide from cytochrome C oxidase, your ability of your mitochondria to now make more ATP out of the same amount of food improves, which means from an energy standpoint, from a tissue repair standpoint, from a dealing with stress standpoint, you open the door, or I should say take the brakes off, one of the major limitations in your ability to actually have enough energy to handle the burden of light. So red light is tremendously beneficial. Uh, the big thing with the red light that I think people often miss because they hear these conversations and think, oh, I'll just go get a beer sign from the gar uh, garage sale. You have to have a special kind of device that actually allows for this to actually penetrate deep enough into your tissue. So if you're a very kid and you held a flashlight to your hand and you can see through your hand, you can say, Oh yeah, it goes through my hand. We want a device that's powerful enough to penetrate into your tissue. And so you can, you tend to need some sort of legitimate device. It can't just be, I put a piece of red film over my flashlight and call it good. You really need a high output device to get into those levels of the tissue. Now, what's interesting is if you can't necessarily afford kitty setup here, but you can get something that's either just one bulb or one LED panel of it. And that can be powerful too. They have smaller bulbs that are going to fit into your normal light socket that's going to be red as well. Or even smaller, like we've got the red light, man, infrared. -y. We've got the small ones, we've got the big ones, we've yeah. got the face mask. So, like the small ones, like we just sit them beside our bed and like I'll read at night with them. So, like, yeah. What about the chicken, like you people with the chicken lights? Chicken you know? lights. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I actually personally, I love the chicken lights because you get not just the red end of the light spectrum. You've got some orange, you've got some yellow, and you get some near-infrared and some infrared, which if you want to look that up, you start to get into the white, uh, light wavelengths that you actually can't see. So you can't physically see infrared. Mm. You can't really see near -infrared. Yeah, like on the the ones that we've got a red, red light and infrared, so like every second one, it just looks like there's nothing. Like the lights, there's yeah. no light, and then there's a red light, and then there's no light, yeah. Yet it is on and it is creating an output. You just can't visually see it because of how your eye works. It's very interesting. Mm. And so it's one of those things where uh, different species can see infrared, like bees can see infrared. So it's one of those weird things that, like, I think a Tyrannosaurus Rex, they said, could see infrared or something like that. I don't know. It was some Jurassic Park thing that they came up with. Maybe that was just Hollywood. But as far as the chicken lamps are concerned, I actually really like setting a bunch of those up in the room that I'm actually going to hang out in. So I'll set those up and I'll read. I'll set those up and I'll work out with three or four of those things going. And again, you want to get this to penetrate the skin. The other side of red light and chicken lights for that matter is the more skin exposed to it, the more benefit you're going to get mm. as you're now having more tissue exposed to these lights. And so that way you can have healing things on scars. You can uh, start to heal certain surgical scars or any sort of injuries to spinal cord issues, if you have a powerful enough device to penetrate, uh, they're actually using very condensed lasers now for TBI and head trauma. They'll shine onto parts of the cranium 
to target specific brain areas because they have devices powerful enough now to penetrate through your skull into some of these brain areas. That's in- that's incredible. After I had the breast lift, I did it three times a day for 15 minutes. I, I just oh. put the panel up on the desk because it was right just done. I'd just sit there for 15 minutes right. after breakfast, yeah. lunch, and dinner for like I did that for like eight weeks. Yeah. 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 So if you have a specific surgical or injury that you're trying to deal with, surgical um, recovery, or if you just want general health, the red light is great. If you just want general health and aren't trying to treat a specific thing, the chicken bulbs are fantastic. And cheaper, obviously, too. And yeah, I'll put the links to the, the discount codes below in the show notes. Um, okay, next one, bedtime routine. So routine. I think, you know, a lot of people will stay up late, you know, scrolling through Instagram, be like, fuck, it's 11 o'clock, you know, I still, you know, I need to go to bed. Um, I think one thing that's really helped us is just having, we have a really quite strict bedroom and I just have to nag Craig often, but he's grateful to me. He always says, I'm grateful when I get up early, I've had a good sleep, but you know, and about 7.30, I'll, you know, or quarter past seven, I'll have my ice cream and then have my bedtime supplements um, before bed. And then I'll go and brush my teeth and do my red light and then read my book. We put the, have the room cooled, um, really like dark. I, and I actually have an eye mask and earplugs because Craig's got a CBAP pap because he's, and that's things fucking loud. Uh, so can you talk a bit more about the bedtime routine and then the bedroom you know, like we put our phones downstairs away yeah. from no Wi-Fi on. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So this is an area where a lot of people are starting to actually pay attention to more and more now. Yeah. In terms of the bedroom or bed night routine or bedtime routine, excuse me. Uh, an easy way to think about your bedtime routine is much like you would think of a habit. So for example, if I, every time I drive home a certain way from work and I see the Krispy Kreme sign, I say, whoop, I'm going to go over here and get a donut. Now, if I want to break that habit, I may need to change my routine. I may need to go a different route so I don't see that sign, which creates the trigger, which when you have that trigger happen enough, you start to create a hormone response. I'll start secreting insulin to prepare for my donut before I actually get into the parking lot because of the trigger that that created. The same thing can happen to setting up a bedtime routine. You can start to set in motion all of your sleep functions by having a certain sequence of events that follow every single night. So it could be, I'm going to go ahead and have my ice cream, take my supplements, go to the bedroom, put on my eye mask, put in my earplugs. And by that point, you have actually experienced this process enough times that your brain has learned through neuroplasticity what the next sequence of events is going to be. So a lot of times to overcome some of that uh, inertia of not being able to sleep, you need to create inertia in the direction of the same routine every single time. And when you stack that deck with enough things in your favor, with breathing, with adequate fuel, with not cutting your calories too low too often, you're doing all the right things and practicing that routine, you're starting to create a hormonal environment that's going to now start to have a pattern that follows suit every single night. Mm. So... Bedtime routines are tremendously powerful, tremendously underrated. Even uh, making, yeah, sorry, keep going, sorry. It, it. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say one other thing you could do too, which I found help, is helpful for me. I've never been into journaling, but a lot of people love journaling. They like brain dump, but I like to just think about, okay, look in my diary tomorrow. What's the plan? What are the two or three big things I need to get out done tomorrow? Write everything down. I'm like, okay, cool. Otherwise, sometimes I'll wake up in the night thinking, fuck. I've got to do this or I've got to do this. So just 
that bit of a brain dump, I think sometimes can um, really help as well, potentially. Yeah. Um, that way you don't have to worry about forgetting it the next day and waking up yeah. in the middle of the night saying, oh, I hope I don't forget about that thing. That's a really important thing to do. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Now, there's three more things I've thought of while we were. <laughs> so what about magnesium? I've noticed, you know, like the people who are stressed, they waste magnesium and salt. Mm-hmm. You know, I think obviously you've got to address the stress and, you know, because if you're just constantly taking supplements, you're sort of trying mm-hmm. to build a leaky bucket. But what about magnesium? Sometimes I've noticed people, if they'll add some magnesium in at bedtime, that can also help their sleep. Some people not, you know, what do you think about that? Magnesium is one of my favorite supplements. It's on that short list of things mm-hmm. that I think most everybody could stand to have more of. Yeah. As far as, uh, if it was a few years back, the NHANE study, that was one of the common uh, deficiencies across the board that most people have. So when it comes to magnesium, one of the real benefits of magnesium having a calming effect is that magnesium is required for ATP. So ATP is your cellular currency. Mm. It's the energy currency of your body and it requires magnesium. So if you don't have enough magnesium, you can't even make enough ATP, even if you got adequate red light, even if you have adequate salt, you have adequate blood sugar, you still won't make enough ATP. So part of the bigger picture is we're trying to shore up this entire energetic process in your body, make sure that we're not missing any of these pieces or steps along the way. And it's just finding out which steps are missing for which person. But magnesium is commonly, commonly low in most people. So yeah, that's a major one for making sure that you're getting the most out of everything you're doing. So what can you talk through, like us personally, we just take a magnesium glycinate. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just what we have that's easy. You know, you can, what, what are your favorite forms of magnesium and then how much would you recommend people take? So generally speaking, I'm a big fan of magnesium glycinate, glycinate as well. I haven't had good experience with a lot of other ones. I'll use magnesium oxide sometimes for a laxative effect, the milk and magnesia kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But that's, I usually only have that problem if I travel. So if I travel, Forget it. I'm not going to be regular. It just throws me off. I just know that. So yeah, my body doesn't like it. It's like, oh, I have to shit in a different toilet today. Nope. 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 <laughs> so not going to do that. I'm going to get stage fright. <laughs> so my, my, yeah. So anyway, I'll use it. I'll use that for that circumstance. Uh, magnesium bisglycinate, I don't respond well to, but I know some people do. Mm-hmm. As far as the one I get the most bang for the buck from is magnesium glycinate. As far as dosage is concerned, when I have people start with that, I say, do it to bowel tolerance. Mm. So take some, wait a little bit, take a little bit more, wait a little bit, take a little bit more, wait a little bit, and wait until you have to go to the bathroom. Because Mm. if you get to that point where you overdose on magnesium, even if it's a good form, it will have a laxative effect for you. Mm. So if we find out that four capsules of magnesium glycinate is bathroom stop, then cool. You might need only three. You might need three. In like milligrams, if we were talking milligrams, like roughly, like we, so like 400 to 800 milligrams, like is it rough? Do you think that's a good goal? I just, you know, maybe two to eight. Yeah. 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 Two to eight would probably be a safe bet. Now, of course, if you are under stress, again, if you have that terrible trauma to the body, you're dealing with a head trauma or concussion, surgical uh, repair, you're dealing with anything that was just this major shock to your system. You may need more magnesium during that time. Yep. But I wouldn't expect you to need that forever. Yep. Yeah. To get over that hump, just to give your system enough extra resources to kind of add that stress response. Mm. Yeah, cool. Um, 
Uh, and when you're looking for a magnesium glycinate, like we've just got one, I think I can't remember the. I'll put the link below. What what so what do you look for? Like, is it pretty? Like, what what which brand do you use? Or is I mean, it, well, what would you look for? Because obviously the people listening in Australia, some in the states. Mm-hmm. In the states, the one I like is Bulk Supplements. My problem with that is they don't have a capsule version of it, so I make my own. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah. We've got little micro scales, so I just like well, no weighed out. Like one, I think it's a quarter of a teaspoon is about four hundred and fifty milligrams. So it's like once I know, you can just measure it out. Yeah, but it's annoying if you have to get the micro scales if you don't know. Yeah, and so I actually I have to get a capsule machine that can do hundred <laughs> capsules at a time. So I'll do that and I'll fill up a whole jar full. But I'll buy a big, big bag of it in bulk just to lose powder. But yeah. the big things I look for, and this is why I found that company, because there's no other added uh, ingredients to it. There's no silicon dioxide. There's no magnesium stearate. There's yeah. no weird fillers in there to take up space for one. But for two, a lot of those things can be very irritating to people. Yeah. I actually had a supplement uh, I bought at one point that they were out of the version I wanted, which was the beef gelatin capsule. They said, well, we've got it in a vegetable capsule. Was that okay? I said, I don't guess. I'll try it. I need this. It was niacinamide. I said, I need this right now. Sure, let's go ahead and do it. And so they sent it to me anyway, not the one I wanted, with the vegetable capsule is what they sent me. And I started to get these weird skin reactions to it. It's interesting, isn't it, how some things can just react with people? Yeah. You just don't know to be dry. Yeah. So I'm sure that a lot of people I talk to, they're probably tired of me saying it, but you have to be very careful with supplements. It's not a free ride. Yeah, you have to be very yeah. careful. Find a quality company, a reputable company, and go with that because that's it's very hard to find good supplements. And I spend almost half of my job is basically telling people not to take stuff. <laughs> so true. And I think like, too, like, that. I think we can get a lot really focused on like these small things, supplements, when we're not addressing the bigger rocks, you know, like the stress and eating adequate calories and, you know, good bedtime routine, like those things, I think you need to be more like, you can't really out supplement stress, yeah. you know, in whatever, however it's happening to your body. Uh, okay. Two more things. Booze. Yes. So alcohol, uh, it's one of those things people will often say, well, it helps me sleep. Well, it might help you fall asleep. But one of the problems with alcohol is that can actually interfere with an area of your brain called the cerebellum. Your cerebellum is heavily involved with movement, with balance, with coordination, and with emotion and thought processes and cognition. And so when it comes to alcohol poisoning your cerebellum, you can have a negative influence on your ability to actually get into the deeper stages of sleep that allow you to hit that full rejuvenated recovered sleep in the morning. So alcohol can, yeah, it can knock you out, but it may not actually get you the recovery you need. And you'll see this a lot when people wake up groggy after going to the club all night and they're just complete mess the next day. Yeah, wow. because you not only had a negative influence on brain function, but you also depleted a lot of the vitamins and minerals in your liver. And so when we think of detoxing alcohol, you need to convert alcohol into acetylaldehyde. And you need to get rid of it. Those are major B vitamin dependent processes. And your B vitamins are involved with creating energy from sugar. So when we're talking about having good balanced blood sugar and good glycogen storage in the liver, alcohol is an easy way to ruin glycogen storage in the liver. Oh, and you need to have a good sleep when you, like I really love drinking and I just drink sporadically now. 
But even when I do have a few drinks, I still don't, I don't sleep very well. I just accept it and I take, you know, some nice cinema and I try and have an adrenal cocktail before bed, make sure I eat enough. But still, still, yeah. I don't have as good sleep. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I, I am a whiskey fan myself. I like a good scotch. I like a good bourbon. But I also know that if I have that too close to bedtime, it's not going to be a good day time. drinking, everyone. Day drinking. Yeah. That's the key. That's the but also volume. The amount that you have is also, you know, like, and you, know, I think oh, I say this, it's like something like say, don't ever drink, but you just got to like ask yourself, why am I drinking? Am I doing it to cope with stress? You know, be honest with yourself. You know, some drinks every now and then in moderation, you know, like if you want to drink, if you enjoy it, I mean, I don't think it's adding anything nutritionally, but you know, you might just want to have a glass of wine every now and then or a few cocktails or things, but just, yeah, I think. Uh, be mindful. You know, if you're drinking every night to cope with stress, probably not good. Yeah, that's that's one of those things. You probably want to address the actual stressors that are in your life causing you to use alcohol as the escape mechanism. Mm. One other point to mention on alcohol uh, that sometimes gets missed is that if you consume polyunsaturated fats at the time of drinking alcohol, you will greatly increase your likelihood of liver damage you will have a major increase in your risk of cirrhosis or creating a liver spot if you're consuming alcohol and bufa at the same time. I was just making, you made me think back to my drinking days and I would get behind and then be, you know, in Surface Paradise or Brisbane and I'd be like getting pizza or kebabs or so like you think about when you drink your, you know, d- drops your blood sugar, you just want to eat shit food. Like you do, don't you, don't you, don't, it's hard not to want to yeah. go like, I'd like eat hot chips and yeah, I'm surprised I'm alive sometimes. <laughs> I think uh, I think we probably both are, but uh, yeah, it's, and it's unfortunate because a lot of the social circumstances where alcohol is generally acceptable, the food choices are generally not ideal from our pro-metabolic approach. So from that standpoint, it's very easy to say, oh well, I'm going to have a beer and I'm going to have a corn dog. I'm going to yeah. have a beer and some tortilla chips. I'm going to have a beer and. You can easily get into that situation very quickly if you aren't prepared for it. So if you're doing it at home, you have a little bit more control of the environment. So if it's a matter of, I need my glass of wine tonight to deal with this because I had a long week, I'm not going to take that away from you. But I would implore you to try and make sure you don't have a ton of polyunsaturated fats with you. Yeah, That's one of those things to think about in your own health journey is, if you have that history of, I was the college kid that went to all the frat parties and ate all the fried food, well, guess what? That might be why you're having a hard time progressing in your liver function now. We might need to do more work to repair that liver because of what you did to it before. That's okay. Your liver can regenerate. You can donate part of your liver. You can yeah. leave part of your liver yeah. and still recover it. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a very efficacious organ. Like Alcoholics will show very few signs of a cirrhotic liver until you have about 20% of the liver left. Wow, that's crazy, isn't it? Now, this yeah. is not an excuse to go and get shit-faced every day, everyone. It's but, not an excuse, no. no but that is that is quite amazing. Um, wow. And I think, too, like if you're a woman, a lot of women are like, if you're trying to lose weight and improve your health, you know, can you technically drink and still lose weight? Yes. Like if you're in a caloric deficit, you can. But let's say that your you know, caloric deficit is 1,800, 2,000 calories. You put the alcohol in there, 500 calories of the alcohol, you've got to take that away from food. You're going to be fucking hungry. Like, yeah. it, and there's no nutrients and it's stripping, you know, like you talked about the B vitamins and, you know, it's just, it's just not a smart, yeah. I think, 
way to do it and it's going to make it more difficult. You're going to want to eat shit. You're not going to sleep well. That means the next day you'll be more tired. You'll be more hungry. So, you know, you got to ask yourself, is it really worth it? Like, yeah. is it, can you just maybe not drink for a while and just make it easier for yourself? Yeah. That's what I think. It's, it's one of those things where I get it. I enjoy a good cocktail every now and again, but it's also one of those you have to do it with intention and being deliberate with it. Otherwise, those calories will sneak in. Totally. Hitfalls will uh, yeah. thin. And next thing you know, well, why isn't the scale moving? Why am I not seeing the change I want yeah. to see? Yeah. It's good to be honest with yourself. And you'll just feel heaps better too. You know, like every time I have a few drinks, I think, oh, just like on the weekend, it's my birthday and we're going to this La Luna, which is this beautiful outdoor like restaurant near the pools. And they ha- they have these incredible, uh, I really love margaritas. They have these amazing spicy pineapple margaritas. Um, so I'm going to have a few of few of them. And I just know I'm going to make sure I eat a good lunch when I'm there. I'll come home, eat my normal dinner. But I know that I'll feel a bit, you know, not great the next day, but I'm just going to accept it, you know, and just, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's I think a key point to remember is that you still have to live life. You still have to enjoy yourself every now and again, and yeah. if that's the thing that you want to do. All you have to do is make the informed decision because yeah. you're an adult. You can make those choices, but right. it's not to be so strict that you can never have anything. It's to be resilient enough that if you do have those things, it doesn't hold you back so much. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as you get healthier, I think it's easier. But I still find like the older, and also too like. Kate Deering and I always talk about this on that before we have podcasts because she was a big sounds like you partied too back in the day from what you said uh, yes yeah bit of a party animal okay so <laughs> we were always the ones at the part like we took heaps of drugs too yeah never fucked up enough always had to take more and be more fucked up you know I think to myself and I just drank copious amounts of alcohol as well as took drugs as well as starved myself then would binge. When I was hungry and on shit food, and I think, oh my God, you're poor body kitty. Like you've just put it through the ringer for years and years and years. So yeah, it's just, um, yeah, just drink responsibly, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Drink responsibly, <laughs> live responsibly. Yeah. And, but yeah. it's, I, I want to implore people. I mean, you had this post the other day and I loved it so much because it was a quote from Ray Pete talking about the exclusion of food becoming so problematic to people. Yeah, And that's what I really try to instill in people is that our goal isn't just to make it so that you can only eat this list of foods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you eat, how it affects you, those are the questions we're looking for. And mm-hmm. if you find that you have all of these other pieces dialed in, you've got the stress level dialed in, you've got the right breathing work, you've got the nice sleep routine, then you're going to be less susceptible to a drink. But if you've got all the stress, you don't have a good routine, and yeah. got all these other issues, Alcohol will be more problematic in that situation than one that's dialed in. So let's fix what we can fix. Let's get you moving in the right direction with all the other stuff. And then you don't have to worry so much about, oh, I messed up and I had a drink yeah. tonight. Or I went out and had some pufas. Like I always say to women, like, you know, you want to try and eat these foods 80 to 90% of the time. Like this, choose from these groups so that like it's intentional eating, you know, so that you're getting the nutrients that you need, the energy that you need. Then the rest of the time, you know, if you want to, like, I don't know, have a Mars bar or something, you know, mm-hmm. eat it and in line with whatever your calorie goals are for the time. So if you're in a deficit, you've got to fit in the deficit calories and you might choose not to do that because it might not keep you full. It'll be hard to hit your macros. So it's like you say, it's just making these informed decisions. And I also think once you get to a place where you're healthy and you're at maintenance, mm-hmm. 
then you can have more of these times like, you know, we'll just go out and eat off, off, like go out for lunch and eat whatever. I'll just have what I like. I'll have the cocktails. I just drink what I really enjoy. Yeah. If I want a glass of champagne, I'll just go, I love champagne. You know, I feel a bit shit after I drink it more so than cocktails, but I think, oh, fuck it. You know, I don't drink that much. So yeah. I'm just going to have what I really like, you know, and it's mm. not going to affect you so much. So you might need to, if you've had years and years and years of stress and shitty eating and not sleeping, it's like, well, you do have to dial it in a bit more to heal. You have to, like, there's no way around it. But mm-hmm. once you get to a good place, where you've built some muscle, you've lost the weight, you're healthy. Yeah. Then it's, and it's about, I think what you do, like you say, 80 to 90% of the time. It's not about being yeah. Um yeah. And then this is one more thing. I'm just looking at the time. This has been a really good podcast, actually. What do you think about, and this is just an observation that I've had from myself, is like having good relationships and good connections with other humans and doing much things sometimes. Like, you know, like we'll we'll have these big weeks at work and sometimes, you know, like I'll just be, I won't see anyone outside of the work stuff and I'll be, you know, just doing all my, the things I normally do. And I feel like I just, it's like I lack this connection. So sometimes I'll go and like see my sister or see my family or spend the day, you know, with Craig doing something. And then I notice like my, I don't even know what you'd call it, but my cup's full again. And I've had that re-energized from, and not everyone will feel like this, like, cause I'm an extra, yeah. so I could feel quite energized yeah. by connections and people that I like. Mm-hmm. Then my sleep will be really good. Like I've noticed days when I've had a really fun day when, yeah. Uh, and not that I don't enjoy the work, but not working, doing something really fun with Craig, family or catching up. But I just feel really, I'm like, oh, I feel so energized again and happy. Like, and I have a good sleep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, it is very interesting to think about. There was a study a few years back, I want to say 2010, um, but they looked at the overall effect of social relationships, your social ties, the strength of your social bonds and its health impact. And what they found was that those that had stronger, healthier social ties had a much lower likelihood of all-cause mortality. And the effect was so big that it was actually healthier to have strong, healthy relationships than it was to even quit smoking. So people that quit smoking, people that lowered their blood pressure did not see the improvement in life expectancy that came about from those that had strong, healthy relationships. Mm. So... That doesn't mean you have to go out and be the social butterfly. You don't no. have to know it. Yeah, no. It's the quality of the relationship. Yeah. It could be with one person. It could be with your cat. It could be going to church. It could be doing anything that gives you a little bit more excitement and reason in your life. Like one of the uh, most famous uh, longevity studies, they found that there are really only two things that help people live forever or at least close to it. And this is... You look at all the blue zones, you look at all the different diets, Mediterranean, Sicily, all the, you look at all those different blue zone areas. And the number one thing that was across the board in every area, regardless of diet, regardless of genetic background, was having a purpose. Yes. Having a reason to live, was having a drive to do that. So this is the, like the stereotype view of once you retire, that's when you start dying. Well, it's the people that are like, well, I'm going to retire, but I'm going to do something else with my life. That's where you really start to see major changes in your health because now you're doing things for you. You're not doing it for your company that you used to work for. You're not doing it for somebody else, but to have a purpose, to put yourself into a role of I'm serving this purpose. I'm either volunteering, I'm either going out and giving myself to others, or 
I'm doing something because I actually enjoy it. I'm going to learn photography because I want to learn how to take pictures or I'm going to learn how to dance. We love, we love your work. Like us, like I really feel so, Craig and I, so much purpose from our, we love our work and helping women and, you know, getting up. I think oh, I always just, every day when I walk the dogs along the beach, I think, oh, fuck, I'm grateful. I'm just so grateful. Like just these really simple, I'm so grateful these simple, I can get up in the morning, I have purpose, I can walk in this beautiful beach you know, every single day with my dogs, I can, I'm healthy. I can train hard. I love training, you know, only do these few things, but I really love them. So it makes me really happy. Totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, not everybody has that luxury, but that's, that's one of those pieces when we talk about environment, having an impact on your health, part of that environment is your social environment. Mm. So having something that you can look forward to. My wife just started doing roller derby and she's like, she's never done that. She's never skated before. She's learning how to do all this brand new, but she's <laughs> loving it. She's like gung ho. She's like, oh no, you got to walk the dogs tonight because I'm not going to be home. I'm going to roller derby practice. It's, the best. So it's, it's one of those things where like just out of the blue, she found something that she wanted to try and she tried it and then she liked it. Yeah. So. You just have to find something that you care enough about to get out of bed in the morning. And it might be the most weird and obscure and, thing. Or simple. It could be simple, right? Like, yeah. it doesn't have to be, you have to go and have a hobby or let, like, you know, I talked about this on another podcast. I, you know, Craig and I talked, you know, had a bit of reflection in the holidays about, you know, and Craig loves guitar. He's got three guitars. He's getting, he's pretty good, but he wants to like progress more. So he's invested in some lessons. I was like, no, maybe I need to have a hobby. But I didn't really think about like, in terms of my capacity now, where I am is full. Like my bucket mm -hmm. is full. My training and the work, and you know, I just really, I just really like walking the dogs every day on the beach. I know that's pretty, probably sounds boring. And I tried to something, and I didn't really enjoy it. And it was Friday night. I was like, oh fuck, kid, you don't have to do what you're doing now. You really enjoy, so just keep doing it. Like, yeah. you know, could be you love reading fiction novels, or you really like hiking, or you like perfect, yeah, whatever, you know, yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be complex, doesn't have to be expensive, doesn't have to require equipment. Mm. Find something you enjoy, then you should listen to that cue. That's your mm -hmm. brain's way of saying, thank you. Yeah. Found something we like. Yeah, yeah. Like my dad loves cooking. He's always loved cooking. You know, we come over and he, well, he's made some amazing thing, you know. It could be anything, hey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, is there anything... We've got 10 minutes. So is there anything else that you think that we haven't, we've talked about a lot? Um, let's touch back on the having a hard time waking up refreshed part. Okay. So back to the idea that you'll have a hard time falling asleep. You might have a hard time staying asleep or you might have a hard time waking up refreshed. One of the big things that I have found that helps people to actually get more out of waking up refreshed is actually kind of along that line of that pre-bed routine. But doing some simple movement before you go to bed doesn't even have to be weight training. It doesn't even have to be a long walk unless you really enjoy it. But it can be something as simple as I'm going to put on my blue blockers and stretch while I watch TV. I can just do a few simple calisthenic movements before I go to bed. Just enough to kind of give your brain a little bit more activation. Because movement turns on your brain. turns on the movement centers of your brain. The movement centers of your brain for the most part, are going, especially when it's volitional movement, movement that you decide to do, are going to be heavily involved with suppressing sympathetic tone. So 
you're no longer at the behest of your environment and your circumstance and all these random thoughts. You're now, again, kind of like the breathing we talked about. You're directing your attention towards a certain activity. Mm-hmm. And so when you wake up those brain areas and you're driving activation to those brain areas, you're going to get stronger in those brain areas. And those brain areas are going to become stronger and stronger and stronger over time the more you use them. So movement that you care about, movement that's interesting to you, can have a huge effect on your overall ability to lower stress. Yeah, cool. Oh, awesome. I feel like this is such a good podcast. We covered so much. This is Absolutely. a lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so what I'll do, everyone, is I'll pop some links to um, the brand of magnesium that you put, the red lights. I'll pop your uh, Instagram handle, go and uh, follow, and you maybe you can send me website, website links. I'll put everything in the show notes so you can have yeah. a look. Um, and, yeah, hopefully, you know, like um, – let us know if you implement some of these these things and they help you, you know, share it on Instagram, tag us. Um, you know, if you're new here and you're a woman who's been following me for a while, you know, join our seven-day Eat More Trainless um, Get Results Challenge. It's a really good introduction to what we do and covers a lot of concepts that we um, talk about. It's $27 Australian lifetime access. Um, so it's a really great place to start. Uh, and or, as always, take a screenshot of the episode and share it on Instagram stories and tag us and share your biggest takeaway so that was great i'll definitely have to get you on the podcast again to talk about another more specific topic i think absolutely anytime so thanks so much brian you are so welcome getty